Hello again. My name is Andrew Wetzel. Welcome to another real estate podcast. I'm a full-time agent with Long & Foster. I'm also a realtor, an associate broker, an ethics instructor, co-chair professional standards at Tri-County Suburban Realtors, and a mediator. I've been moving sellers and buyers since 1996. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. Today's topic, my buyer's offer did not get accepted. What can they do? This is part one of four parts, and we're going to talk about planning and preparation today. Whether you're thinking about buying a home, are actively engaged in house hunting, or you have already been denied a house you wanted, I want to share some time-tested advice. I'm going to cover this from four perspectives. This is a broad topic with no one-size-fits-all answers. I strongly believe that planning and preparation will put you in the best position to identify houses that may interest you, and when you find one, maximize your opportunity to own it. There are many variables in the home buying process, some of which you can't control. I encourage serious buyers to control what they can. My advice comes with two disclaimers. This is not intended as legal advice, and it is not meant to interfere if you have an existing business relationship. Let me start with the premise that a buyer, or perhaps you, have made an offer and it was rejected. If a buyer makes what they think is a reasonable offer and the seller does not accept it, they should have no regrets. Easy for me to say. If yours was the only offer, I would assume that you had a chance to negotiate but that you could not reach a mutually beneficial solution. If you were competing with other buyers, only one offer can win. Did the buyer have the right expectations about the process and how it might go? Could or should their agent or the listing agent or the seller have done anything differently? If the seller was given an opportunity to review all offers and was properly informed of any possible interest that existed, and they accepted what they thought was the best offer, there may be no valid reason to complain about the outcome. Every signed agreement does not close, so you may get another chance if you want one, but do not assume you will. In fact, depending on the type of real estate market, you may want to assume that you will not have a chance to change your initial offer. I provide my buyer clients with knowledge that I've gained through my years of experience, training, and education. I've also learned a lot by conducting mediations between buyers and sellers and listening to ethics complaints about agents. Fundamentally, I believe that the process of buying or selling real estate is best looked at as a business decision, not a personal one. It is also not a retail transaction. Looking for a house can easily become a full-time job, but it's worth it. Your life will get back to normal after you succeed. Bad decisions can be costly and their effects can last a long time. How long do you plan to live in your next home? Real estate is typically our largest investment, so buying or selling it requires planning and preparation. It deserves our full attention. I suggest that buyers do three things before even starting to look at houses, and this includes not visiting open houses or looking online. The goal is to avoid being teased or distracted. 
they may not even be consciously thinking about buying a house. If they are, most buyers want to jump right in. Frankly, looking at houses and imagining what if is the fun part, although that can get old really fast, especially after an offer has been rejected or a sale terminated. Easier said than done, but if they see something they like and they want to schedule an appointment or make an offer without really being prepared, the process can be frustrating, especially if a better prepared buyer likes the same house. So what are the three things? They're all part of planning and preparation that any serious house hunting requires. If you fail to plan and prepare, you need to be prepared to fail. Is failure an option? What constitutes failure anyway, and what happens next? The order of these three things may vary, but here's what I suggest doing. One, hire an agent. You want an experienced, trained, and educated agent to protect and promote your interest throughout the process. Sellers have an agent, so should you. Hiring an agent includes related topics like understanding agency representation, contracts, and the agreement of sale. Buyer agents do more than open doors and write offers. You can find a lot of information about buying and selling real estate on my website, andrewwetzel.com. Having agents you will not hire show you houses can be a problem, especially if you find the right house with the wrong agent. I understand that committing to one agent, especially at the beginning of the process, seems challenging. Tell us your concerns. Let's have a conversation. Number two, get financially pre-qualified with a local, reputable lender. An agent should be able to recommend somebody to you. Local and reputable are important. I believe that only a live person can provide the information and service you'll need. Be wary of online offers, advertisements, and teaser rates. They may be too good to be true. The interest rate is important, of course, but what are the total costs associated with the loan? Do not overlook the quality of the service. A serious buyer needs to know how much they can borrow what it will cost them, and unfortunately, in some cases, whether they can actually get a loan. Many buyers learn that they cannot get financing or that they need to do some work to get a loan. It will be very frustrating if you learn either of these after finding the house of your dreams. Some buyers may want to get a larger loan so they can buy a house they really like rather than settling for something less. Once you learn how much you can borrow, you need to determine your comfort level in terms of the monthly payment and your out-of-pocket expenses. Knowing your comfort level will help determine the price range to search. The type of market will complicate this. Is the seller's asking price the floor or the ceiling for negotiating? If you're in a market where many houses are selling for above asking price, you need to take that into account. Third, last but not least, determine your wants and needs. What is absolutely non-negotiable? Locations, schools, the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, and other features are important for most buyers. Quality of life issues require some investigating, and that can take time. What would be nice to have? 
needs and wants adds cost to a purchase. Some buyers need to consider trade-offs or reducing their expectations while others can add to their wish list. Your search criteria may change, but you need a starting point to focus your attention. Once you've managed these three, you can set up a search, start reviewing the possibilities, and take action to own your dream house. If there's competition, there's little time to waste getting into houses or making a decision. Of course, if you've already started looking, you may have a search set up. Now would be a great time to reevaluate the search criteria. In part two, I'll discuss the search for your first or your next home. Again, thank you for listening, and please remember, there is no time for inexperience, empty promises, or false expectations. Please hire wisely. We are not all the same.